Welcome to Not Your Mother's Sex Ed, a podcast that covers all things sexual health and education in a safe and inclusive environment. Made by youth for youth, we're bridging the gaps in our community by breaking down the stereotypical sex ed conversation. You can expect laughter, honesty, and informative conversations. Basically, we've got you covered for everything your mom didn't teach ya. All right. So hello, everyone. It's Lillian Quinay here from Rise. And we are joined on this episode of the podcast by the nomadic nympho, Janika. Janika is a sex educator, avid traveler, and YouTuber whose magnetic personality and wisdom is showcased through insightful posts on her Instagram and entertaining educational videos on her YouTube channel. As an outspoken advocate for self-love, Janika uses her platform to deliver messages that address topics many are often unsure of how to broach. And while she's usually solo traveling in an enchanting exotic location, we are fortunate enough to catch Janika at her home in Ontario, Canada. Janika, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Thank you so much for that flattering <laughs> introduction. I'm like blushing and very nervous, but I'm so good and this is such a pleasure emphasis on pleasure to be a part of this so thank you for inviting me in and giving me the space to have this conversation that we often shy away from when we don't need to mm-hmm. how are you i'm, I'm good <laughs> Lily, how are you i'm good too great um so i guess if we're ready we're just gonna launch right into it so how did you discover your passion for educating others in sex and sexual health Um, I get asked this question often and I kept trying to like pin down that one moment, that aha moment where you're like, okay, sex is going to be the thing I focus on for the rest of my life. And I can't really think of one specific instance, Um, but I was always that kid in my friend group and on the playground who would like make double entendres out of subtle comments or pick up on sexual innuendos and I was always that friend that would say like that's what she said (laughs) out of like anything and I've just kind of always had an ardent interest in all things sexuality so eventually I started and I love to read so I would go to the library and like read the erotica novels (laughs) or pick up cosmos and then I'd share the knowledge that I learned with friends Um, and I just kept continuing that and then in university after breaching the trenches of a terrible relationship that I was in, I got into one that was really beautiful and understanding and the communication was great. And my friends were still asking me questions about sexuality. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna make a YouTube channel, send me your questions and I'll answer them there. And it's just kind of continued from then. And like, uh, what's been probably your most inspiring project that you've worked on? So it's the one that's upcoming. I can't say anything yet or tell you when it's coming out because I also like to procrastinate. Um, But I feel like I've finally cultivated something that I'm really, really proud of. And even if it doesn't take off, I don't care because I'm so excited to share this to the little world that I've created. So it's coming, but I can't tell you what it is. (laughs) Well, can't wait for that. Yeah. (laughs) We'll just have to... Wait. (laughs) As a sex educator, we've seen um, social media play a huge role in dispelling information and dispersing knowledge. And so how do you see your role as a sex educator or the role of other sex educators online um, in the online space? How has that changed over time? Where do you see it progressing and going? Earlier on in when like COVID started to set in and with the 
life being slain of George Floyd, I saw like an influx of social media activism taking place and people giving a platform to Black sex educators. And through that, I was exposed to a plethora of folks that I'd never had knowledge of before, especially Black sexual health educators that have been doing this work for years. And I just never knew about them. So I think that it's just been Mm -hmm. really beautiful to connect and even interact with these, like I said, people that I've never met before. But I also feel like it's a little bit dangerous as a sexual educator, not even just online, but in general, because there's this misconception that we're all really kinky and like super freaky. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that's also why I've titled myself The Nomadic Nympho and um, named my following quote unquote, The Certified Freaks, because I, I hope that whatever you're passionate about, you're a freak about it. If you love food, be a freak about it. If you like whatever it is, just own it. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And I feel like those titles men have kind of taken on and I just... I don't have time for it. Um, but sorry, I'm, I'm going on tangents. Uh, but essentially, I just feel like it's it's kind of dangerous as sex educators because we've been given this title when in reality, we've just learned what works for us. We've learned how to um, create boundaries and communicate our needs. And I hope that everyone is a sexual health advocate and educator in their own life instead of putting us up all on these pedestals. So would you say then, do you think independent sex educators are important? And if so, what role do you see them playing in online spaces? I would absolutely say that they're significant because I feel like sex work and sexuality in general is demonetized and dehumanized on the internet all the time. And I recently connected with a sex educator in LA and I was talking about how I feel imposter syndrome all the time or that I'm not adding value to the quote unquote industry that we're in. And she was saying that we could be discussing the exact same topic, but we have different experiences. We have different backgrounds, different ethnicities and different ways of presenting that information to the masses. So even just like one slight word change could gravitate and resonate with someone more with me than it does with another sex educator. So I say the more, the merrier. Bring them all. (laughs) Keeping in line with social media, I'm just kind of curious, as a sex educator on these platforms, are you finding that your content is maybe viewed differently by the, I guess, larger purveyors on the platform? Is it censored? Is it restricted in some sort of way? Absolutely. Especially on YouTube and especially with platforms that have thousands of followers, anytime you mention anything sex related, your videos demonetized Mm. and it's just not shown to a wider audience. And I noticed that even when I post certain like stories on my Instagram or posts in general, it's not viewed by as many people as if it's like my face or a thirst trap. It's just, it's like shadow banned essentially, which is really unfortunate. And do you find that like discouraging to like, or would you think other sex educators might find that discouraging from posting like information on YouTube or on Instagram if it keeps on getting demonetized or hidden? I think, of course, it is discouraging, especially when you've worked so hard on something. But I think that you, we also use it as fuel, you know, like people still need this education and we need to overcome this idea that it's taboo. So it's just encouraged me to keep doing it because even if 
five people see it and it alters the way they navigate their relationships, I've done my job. That's awesome. We're going to talk more about education and the lack of sexual um, health education in schools. And so we understand that there's some provincial differences regarding sexual education, but we kind of want to know what gaps you feel exist in secondary school sex education from either your experience, from what you've heard from individuals who come to you with questions or concerns. Uh, Well, data across Canada in terms of sexual health is elusive and not mandated well at all. Um, I also feel like at first I was like, I think we should just roll out one standard curriculum for the entire country, but that's not very inclusive because there's different demographics in every single province. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also think that based on the educator you have, their experiences and their biases are going to come into play when they're teaching the sex education, which is really frustrating for maybe someone who's trans or gay and they they don't know that yet. And if um, a, a teacher has a certain biases and doesn't and decides not to educate on that topic, then where does that leave that student? You know, I feel like it kind of excludes them even more and um, discourages them from one feeling comfortable and maybe they just don't want to seek out the information at all. Because if the person at the front of the classroom isn't educating them, then why should they seek out that information? Mm -hmm. And we actually did like an online survey and asking like participants about uh, what their sex ed experience was. And for a lot of the respondents, the answer was pleasure and sexual health were not covered at all in their sex ed. Does that surprise you at all? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because if I was to take that survey, I would have said the exact same thing. Um, And I'm certain that uh, male-identified folks and non-binary peeps probably took the survey as well, but especially female pleasure that has been um, like demonized since the beginning of time, Um, especially in the the DSM-5, so the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health. In the early 1900s, excuse me, um, hysteria was included in that that like list or manual essentially and it was like hysteria is the greek word for uterus (laughs) so basically anything that men don't understand is apparently a mental illness to anyone um and also so anything that like disrupted reproduction so like menopause or um miscarriage was considered a mental illness um so it doesn't even shock me that (laughs) that was included because even though we're trying to move away from um, a curriculum that's that was less inclusive, patriarchy still sits in there mm-hmm. and it still occupies a wide space, which is why folks feel like they're not learning about their bodies or their vulvas and vaginas and why people don't even know the distinction between their vulvas and their vaginas. So I'm not, I'm not shocked at all. Yeah, it was disheartening a little bit to read some of the responses, but it gave us a better idea of the community we're trying to help and kind of directing our project a bit. But since we have you, we were wondering if you have some suggesting su- suggestions <laughs> for folks that are interested in understanding or learning more about pleasure for their own benefit. The one, number one thing I would suggest is to get naked. Like <laughs> look in front of a mirror, get naked and look at your parts get comfortable with being in your skin and seeing what is going on down there. I call it Southern hospitality. Just like explore 
everything know the colors the the sense like what it looks like and um honestly that's what has helped me in my own sexual liberation i don't think i looked at my own vulva until i was like 19 which is terrifying um but yeah like being in order to be comfortable and tell people what you want and desire sexually you need to be able to understand what's going on with you and like branching from that so talking to like what are some suggestions for ways that folks can broach the topic of pleasure with their partners or partners i always suggest leading with compassion instead of criticism so being like i really loved when you did that but maybe next time we can try this instead of being like oh my god that was so terrible like we're done. Um, I also really encourage making want, will, and won't lists. Uh, I learned this from an amazing sex educator. Her name's um, Lindsay Doe, and her platform is Sexplanations. Um, but wants, so I really want to orgasm when I have sex. Wills are, I'm willing to suck your toes. I don't know. Or won'ts being like, I'm absolutely not willing to cuddle post activity. Um, and I feel like if you do this with your partner and then swap lists, you can kind of see where you overlap and um, what you're open to doing and compromising. So just having really open lines of communication um, and providing your partner or partners with a space where they can just like openly come to you with suggestions and concerns. A lot of active listening, which is which is great. Um, so Lily and I, when we were doing research for this episode, uh, we got into talking about, you know, some things that we do or that we know people do as part of maybe not per se a failed sexual education, but a very warped one. And so we got into talking about female presenting folks faking orgasms. And so we wanted your own take on this and kind of get your sense of why this seems like a prevalent thing, um, faking orgasms for the benefits of others. A patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Always because I mainly hear this from folks in heterosexual relationships. Um, I also feel like it's because we haven't been taught how to communicate and navigate conversations where the subject matter is uncomfortable. Um, and really just like cushioning egos. And my friends and I talk about this all the time because we've all done it. And after the situation, we're like, why did we do that? Because it wasn't pleasurable for anyone. And now the person we're sleeping with is gonna continue doing what we didn't like because we didn't tell them we didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And it happens all the time. Uh, yeah, just patriarchy, that's it. <laughs> and feeling like we need to comfort our partners, mainly male partners. And what would you say are like some common misconceptions about vaginas? How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> All the time in the world. One, a huge one is smells, um, especially with like summer's eve and those products that are telling you your vagina needs to smell like a tropical rainforest. Your vagina is supposed to smell <laughs> like a vagina. And that's it. Um, and a lot of these products, you'll use them once and it fixes the quote unquote problem that you have. And then two days later, this smell that you were trying to cover up comes back. So then you buy the product again and you're just like feeding into that business. Uh, I think another huge one is like discharge. I didn't learn that um, the pH in our discharge can stain your undergarments. And I always grew up thinking that 
there was something wrong with me whenever that happened. Yeah, your your discharge changes throughout your cycle and it's completely normal unless the bacteria or the yeast like takes over in your vagina. It's absolutely normal. Discharge and smells are the main ones, I think. Branching off of that, what are some societal expectations or perceptions regarding vaginas that are inherently harmful either to um, someone with a vagina or just a general, in the general sense of consent and sexual education? I would say that like we, one size fits all, like that every vagina is supposed to look the same, that your labias, both the menorahs and the majoras are supposed to look a certain way. And I feel that we've all learned that from porn, really, because the model in porn looks like very surgically <laughs> crafted genitalia. And again, with like size, uh, I also feel like the idea that your vagina just like stretches out when you have like multiple sex partners or like continuously have sex, like it's a very elastic and generous organ. So to feel that it's just going to stretch out because of a penetrative object that you used is just like it it just it blows my mind <laughs> to think that um especially when we or folks with that can bear children can push out a child so to think that a penetrative object is gonna it drives me absolutely crazy we're also trying to get a sense of how any listeners or even ourselves can combat such harmful practices um what would you suggest to someone who maybe understands that these practices are harmful, but isn't really ready yet to speak out against them or doesn't know how to dictate to a partner or to uh, colleagues that such conceptions are harmful? Again, get naked. <laughs> That's the answer for everything. I feel like if you aren't comfortable with the appearance of your vulva, you need to dig a little deeper and seek out why. And you also need to look at it and get comfortable with the skin and the body you're in. A huge thing that's been um, instrumental in a lot of my relationships when I'm unable to articulate my feelings around something is to write it out, like to pretend that I'm writing to the person that I want to speak to because it's very therapeutic. And if you write it out before you talk to the person, I think you're able to process it better. And then when you actually have the discussion, it might come off in a better manner than it would if you just blatantly just flat out said it to them. And how do you combat like the stigma of STIs or other vaginal infections? And how can folks become more comfortable with getting tested? Um, so I had a lot of friends that um, contracted herpes after having like sexual experiences. So I made a YouTube video where I said, you know what, I have herpes, I'm not afraid of it. And we all have it. If you've ever had a cold sore, that is herpes, <laughs> it's dormant in your body. So really just educating the masses on these STIs and normalizing it. Also, me and a lot of my friends will have like STI days where we'll go as a group and get tested together. Um, or I'll go with people, someone I really trust and someone that's like a safe space for me because it removes that fear around STIs and feeling like it's a bad thing if you if you end up getting one. We also need to change the language. So like this idea that if you have an STI, you're dirty. It's not, that's not what it is. There isn't a black and white or clean and dirty thing. If you have an STI, you're still a valid human being. You are still a sexual person if that's how you want to identify yourself. And it's 
it's not a death sentence as a lot of society and like the propaganda around it has made it seem. It's normal for a lot of us. So we're obviously all navigating some pretty tense times right now and spending a lot of time um, either engaging in self-care or in a reflection. And we're wanting to get a sense of how you might suggest circumventing some challenges in embracing self-love when the environment around someone doesn't necessarily support it or it's not available to an individual. I always try to cultivate like a sense of home within myself. So just fostering the environment I want to see. And it, and I'm not opposed to like cutting anyone off that doesn't fill my cup. I understand that if you're living with the person, that's really difficult, which is why making yourself a home is really important. So ways I do that, I write like little mantras and messages on my mirrors that I can look at every day. I have a chalkboard wall that I write one thing I love about myself on it every day so that by the end of the month, it's full of 30 or 28 or 31 things. And I've set up reminders on my phone every single day to remind me of my validity and worth. So if you are occupying a space where you feel unsafe or unloved and you can't remove yourself from it, if you can and you have access, I would seek out therapy or just try those little things that can give you some sort of comfort and solace, especially this year. I think we all need to have a little bit more self-care and self-love and take time to fill our own cups if nobody else's. And what advice would you give uh, to those who are beginning or in the midst of their journey into understanding their own pleasure and sexual health? No question is a stupid question. <laughs> because if you don't know the answer, you have to ask somehow to figure it out. So don't be afraid to make a fool of yourself or embarrass yourself or ask all of the questions under the sun. And the internet is free. So Google whatever you want answers to, but make sure that you're looking at multiple sources and don't take one piece of information for face value and know that this is one, gonna be one of the most amazing journeys you're going to go on to like self-discovery, being able to communicate your needs and wants and just create the life sexually and non that you've always dreamed of. I'm going to toss in a question that we didn't actually prepare you for, but oh if you could give advice to 18 year old you, what would you say? Oh dear God. Um, who was I when I was 18? Be nicer to boys because no, some boys actually, because there were actually some really good boys in your life and you only thought they were trying to sleep with you and now you're not friends with them. <laughs> Another piece of advice I would give is again, no question is a stupid question because there are so many things I shied away from asking because I wanted to like look cool in front of my friends even though I was dying to know the answer. And eventually I found out that all of them were looking for the same solution or answer to their problems. I don't even remember who I was when I was 18. <laughs> I'm like, that seems like such a lifetime ago. <laughs> and the last piece is hold on to that, that interest you have in sexuality, because by the time you're 26, it's going to take you to places you never could have dreamed of. And you're going to help so many people that you never thought you would have. What are some book recommendations or resources that are related to pleasure or vaginal health that listeners could access? 
So shameless plug, my YouTube channel. <laughs> so youtube.com backslash the nomadic nympho. I also have this website under the same title. Um, or hit me up on Instagram if you ever have questions and I'll just like make a video about it. There's also book She Comes First. It's by Ian Kerner. Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. And I recently just found this podcast called The Strategic Slut. And it covers everything from sex, dating, relationships, love, and life. And it's an amazing podcast by someone in their 20s. So it's super relatable. Wonderful. So you've already mentioned that listeners can find you on Instagram, on your website, and on YouTube, which we'll also put in the, uh, I guess, description box, episode notes of this podcast. We'll just put it everywhere, absolutely everywhere. But we want to thank you very, very much for coming on here today and taking time to share your wealth of wisdom and knowledge with us. We're very, very appreciative, and we're so certain that all the listeners will also be so appreciative of it, too. Thank you. Sorry, I was really nervous, but I'm just so excited. (laughs) Thank you so much for giving me the space to share and connect with all of you. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here with us. We really appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate it, too. Bye! (laughs) Thanks for listening to Not Your Mother's Sex Ed. Let us know what you thought by sharing a review. You can subscribe and share our episodes through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Connect with us on Instagram at nymsexed or notyourmothersexed.com.